a Podcast One production. Hello, I'm Gary Megan and welcome to A Plate to Call Home where we explore the stories behind the food and get to know some of my food heroes. You just can't keep a good woman down. Boundless energy and enthusiasm and drive. We're talking about Anna Poliview and it's hard to ignore. They call her the punk princess of pastry. She's one of the country's best pastry chefs and she's famous for her crazy creations as much as her candy pink Mohican. Not everything, though, has always been so sweet. Anna opens up about her early rebellion and troubled teens, and for the first time, she talks about her sexuality, as well as her sliding door moment when she became a pastry chef, and it changed everything. She shares a recipe for success and tells us what's up next in her life. Anna Polyview, great to have you on. You just turned up there on my Zoom right in front of me with a big pink mohawk. I know. And I just, you know, I got it digested today. And then the other day <laughs> I posted about, you know, on my Instagram, I had like, you know, face mask down with my branding on it. And my printer guy put it on and it was like, he's got shaved head blonde. And everyone's like, oh my God, what have you done to your mohawk? And I'm like, what do you mean? That's not even me. I don't know if I should take, get insulted or complimented. I don't know. It's candy pink. It looks like candy floss, actually. Oh, I've had kids trying to eat it. <laughs> you know, like trying to pick it and eat it. I'm like, what are you doing? Just like, control your kids. How did the mohawk come about? So it was by accident, actually. I was, I was going to go to Melbourne. It was Greek Easter time, and you know how the Greeks are. And I said, I said to my missus, can you just shave a little bit so we can clean it up? She has no problem. But the blade, she didn't put the blade on. So all of a sudden, zoop. Oh. So zero. So it was complete zero. Old. And she's like giggling in a weird way. And I'm just like, what's going on? And she goes, nothing, nothing. And then I saw it and I started crying. Go, oh, my God. You know, I'm a 41-year-old woman. I go, my mother is going to kill me. But this was like about four or five years ago. I said, oh, my God. I said, you're going to have to shave it. You're going to have to give me a mohawk. So I shaved it, hated it. And then everyone started saying, God, that's so cool. And I'm like, oh, no, it's so cool. And then mum's used to it now. She loves it. But you would have always had that kind of short on the sides and a bit of a rockabilly look about you. I think it was blonde. Yeah, it was. It was. It was It was black and then blonde. It went from skunk to um, party clown. Skunk to floss. punk. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's kind of dig back a little bit. Where did you, you did your apprenticeship at, uh, in Melbourne, right? So yeah, you're from Melbourne, Sofitel. not Sydney. So Sofitel. Yeah. And it was the, around about the same time that, that so, George Columbaris was there. Oh, was I, God, was I, I there or had I left? You had just left with Ray. And in uh, a way, I'm kind of like glad that Ray left because I was quite scared of him. You know, yeah, love Ray. Scary. Oh, he's beautiful, but he can be scary. Not back in the day, though, Gary. He's, I mean, what? he's calmed down a lot. As an apprentice, I remember we'll be downstairs going to the lift to go to the banquets, and I think that's three levels up, isn't it? Yeah. And I would be trembling because I could hear him screaming. It hasn't even hit 7 a.m., and he's already <laughs> yelling, and I'm just, like, shaking away, and I'm like, oh, God, I've got to do this. But then he had left within a week from there. Yeah. So. He had a squeaky shoe. That's what everybody, oh. everybody, it, it, it was really funny because there, there'd be these long corridors at Sofitel, you know, and as, you know, in my role, I'd have to go and check everybody from 35th floor to banquets, pastry and everything. But everybody said to me, oh, we can hear Ray coming because along the corridor, he'd hear this little wee, wee, wee. And everybody just used to run in <laughs> directions. So I never asked him whether or not the squeaky shoe was deliberate. Why did you become a, an apprentice? So I never wanted to be like a chef at the start, like I've got to be honest, you know, like being from a Greek heritage, mum um, was always in the kitchen, I was always helping, I didn't want to help, she would kind of like force me, it was like a chore for me. Yeah. Um, and I think by year 11, year 12, I showed a lot of interest in cooking. 
And then that's when I started wanting to be, you know, an apprentice chef. And my brother was working at the G back in the day, you know, spotless catering, and you had a lot yeah. of great chefs there as well. Um, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, this so you is meant what the I G do. as in the MCG, not MCG. as in MCG. Yeah, I so went, I always I say went, the G. I went G Bung Polo Club there for a minute, <laughs> which was a different. That was a different night out. <laughs> but you know, but back in the day, Gary, like you know, I know th- you know food's beautiful right now. I'm not I'm not denying that. But back in the day, mm. we had hardcore training, and all mm. the chefs were in there for the hard yard. I mean, the hours are massive. The abuse was there. And, you know, it was all European chefs that were teaching all Aussie chefs. Mm. There's no Aussie head chefs. I never saw any back then. Yeah. Um, who was, who was the pastry chef uh, over the top of you at? Oh, Julie. Julie Sharp. Oh, you Julie know. Sharp. Oh, yeah. Mentor, wow. love her. Um, and obviously Catherine Boyden was there as well, who yeah. was a Queen's pastry chef at one stage. Yeah. Um, but two amazing women who I absolutely love and adore and definitely mentors for me. Yeah. And was that for, for the whole period of your apprenticeship? Or well, did no, because I, was, um, I wasn't always a pastry chef, so... Originally a savoury chef. Okay. So I did obviously... So you moved around. Yeah, which was great training. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you were at Sofitel, you also won um, Young Apprentice of the Year, didn't you, for Victoria? Yes. Yeah. So, and, and that gave you the opportunity to go and work overseas, right? Well, I got, got to pick anywhere I wanted to go. So I picked that to start Dorchester. Yeah. And there's a really good pay chef. I've got his name now. Um, but they were using Verona chocolate and I was so like, wow, they're using Verona. And I went there and it was so classical. Then I went to visit Julie to say hello to her and I saw the stuff that they were doing at Claridge's and I was just blown away. I said, I want to work here. And she goes, but we, we kind of worked together at Sofitel. And I said, Julie, I really want to work here. This is what I want. And I did. You know, I proved myself, got in there. I mean, I would write menus with Julie. So I was already given those great opportunities. And yeah, she so you on, had a special relationship. Absolutely. Um, I was there for three and a half years. It, there must have been some funny... I, you know, I've got loads of ridiculous stories from my Connaught days. There must have been... Some funny stories from back then. Are there, are there a couple that you always tell people? It, it was just brilliant times. I remember, you know, having a cake fight and then, you know, splatting cake all over Ramsey's door. You Why know, did you do that? Well, just having a cake fight. I was a bit naughty back then still, you know. The chef wasn't there. We're just myself and a friend of mine. We're throwing cake thinking it's funny, splattered there. Then Gordon comes down and I'm like, oh, God, here we go. But yeah, I didn't get were... into trouble. He was just looking for my head chef, which I was more scared of, to be honest. <laughs> you know, but it was, you know, it was fun times ago. God, we learned so much. I've always had that admiration. As soon as she talks about Gordon Ramsay, I mean, you know, from when he certainly became famous, first of all, in London, when he was chasing his three mission stars. Yeah. And people just couldn't forgive him for this m- military style of operation that he ran in his kitchen. And he said, yeah, but what you see on television or in the newspapers is two minutes of me cracking the shits. Yeah. When you didn't see the other 14, 16 hours that I'm mentoring, training, you know, working in their hands you know, sleeves rolled up. And I think people can't accept what it takes to be the very best. Yeah. You think? Oh, 100%. And that's what I was there. I was there to make them the best. You know, and they've walked, you know, I've got one at Harrods now. I've got one, you know, doing what she's doing. I mean, they've all gone to do different great things. So they've either dropped mm. out and not been chefs or they've mm. gone for bigger and better things. Yeah, and, that, and that's and that's a rewarding part for me. I want them to succeed. I want them to be the best. But I also want our guests to have the best experience that they can. Yeah. That's really important for me. And your career, when I look at your resume, because I do that little thing where I do a quick fact check and go, oh, that's right, she worked there and that's right. Your resume reads like a who's who. You know, so we talk about Victorian, you know, Sofitel and Victorian, and I have, don't have the list so you can correct me. It's just yeah. what I remember. <laughs> so, you, you know, you talk about, um, you know, Sofitel and doing solid stint there under great people and yeah. winning Victorian Apprenticeship of the Year, winning the privilege of going overseas was incredible already. So working in London, Claridge's. Um, who else did you work? Oh, you went to Pin Hermé. Yeah. You went to Chicago because you won the Calibo 
uh, yeah, chocolate competition. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's fantastic and I pinch myself. But I've also had those times that I've lost stuff. You know, my mum and I remember there was a competition. Remember how we used to do the culinary one for apprentices? Yeah. Where we used to compete oh, against like all Darryl the hotels. Cox and things like that? Yeah, so yeah. we did that and I remember I, I was so convinced I had one and we lost and I was in the corner crying and my mum mm. grabbed me and she goes, you've got to learn how to lose before you can learn how to win. And I think that keeps you grounded, keeps you humble, and it keeps you appreciative as well. Yeah. And I think I've always, you know, every time I've won something or I've achieved something, I've forever been grateful and I've never taken anything for granted either. I've got a little bit of background information on whether you want to talk about it or not. You know, so I'd, the reason I just kind of did a speedy summary of your resume there, because I think people know what you're doing now and they recognise that, and I certainly want to talk about where you're going. Yeah. But when we rewind the clock, a uh, little birdie told me uh, that everything wasn't that great before you went overseas before you won that competition, that you you certainly had your struggles growing up and oh, yeah. school and you're yeah, a naughty yeah, girl. Yeah, yeah, I was a very naughty girl. I mean, you know, I went to a school, which I can't mention, that wasn't great. I mean, there was, added, you know, we didn't have uniforms. I mean, this was, is in Melbourne? Melbourne. Um, yep. There was a smoker area. Um, we didn't have to go to class if we didn't want to. So we didn't, I didn't go to class. And I think because I was also, I learned Greek before I learned English, I really struggled with school in that sense. And, you know, there was fights and when there was fights, they would actually lock the two people that were involved in fights in a room and lock the room and let them cool down, which is really weird and it wouldn't happen to get, you know, now. But there was, you know, stabbings and stealing cars and stuff. I didn't get into all that, but, I mean, it was around. You know, we came from rough areas. Sounds like areas. the Bronx. It was the Bronx in South Oakley. <laughs> and the Shit. funny thing is they asked me to go back and um, speak at the school and I said, I'll never will do that because the teachers were racist. They told us we weren't going to achieve anything. And, I mean, kids do need discipline. Like, I love being a rebel and I love breaking all the rules, but I think there has to be some form of structure in anything, you know. Um, but, you know, I think my mum's a quite a tough woman and mm. I think she pulled me in line a lot and, I mean, you know, it was interesting. It was, it was know, good. I'm, I'm glad. You know, my friends are, you know, I've got my friend Penny that's really successful over in SBS. I mean, she's quite high up there. My friend, you know, and I'm really good friends with all my old friends and it's good to see what we've done and achieved. Can you remember any life-changing or moments that you still regularly think about from those days? Now, you know, you talk about all that stuff now as if it's a bit funny and a bit blasé, but at the time it must have been an absolute nightmare. I remember the time where they were going to kick me out of school and we were trying to get me into every school and no school would accept me. And I did cop a bit of a hiding from mum and dad, you know, back in those days, you know, kind of like allowed. And I think that's kind of like, you know, the fact that I was rejected so much from different schools and my mum just sat me down. She goes, you've got to pull your head in. You know, I don't care what job you do in the future. I don't care if it's, you know, washing dishes or picking up rubbish or whatever it may be. It needs to be an honest job, but you need to achieve that and you won't achieve this if you continue getting into trouble. Mm. But I'm here to support you and I love you, but you've got to do this. And I think that pulled me in a lot, Gary. You know, like, and I think, like I said, you know, mum's always been there nurturing and supporting and, you know, through my, you know, being apprentice to now to everything. I mean, she's a strong woman and I love it a bit. And I think if it mm. wasn't for her, who knows where I would be, you know. So so why do you think you misbehaved and you were like you were when you came from such a supportive and nurturing environment at home? I was just cheeky. I don't think I was a naughty, naughty kid, what well, kind of was, but I love attention. <laughs> you know, so I love being a school clown. You know, I love hanging out with my mates. Um, I just love making people laugh. And I think that's where it comes, you know, I think, and I got a bit carried away. I tend to get carried away. I think that's where it happened. You know, my brother was always a nerd, you know, studying and focusing and saving his money. And I was like, ah, who cares? 
you know, and I was out having fun and, and partying and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, mum had her struggles, but now, I mean, now she's, you know, super proud and same as dad, the whole family is, you know, but it was just part of it. I, th- I think you need to go through those challenging times as a young kid to be able to be who you are now. Mm. If you could rewind the clock, what do you, how do you think you would approach it differently? I wouldn't change a bit. Oh, you couldn't? <laughs> no way. I had so much fun. <laughs> I think I would, one thing I would do was I would pay more attention in the kitchen with mum. So instead of seeing it as a chore back then, I would actually have spent more time with my grandma because she's amazing. She's obviously passed away. But, I mean, she was a great, great cook. That's the only part. But otherwise, no way. Loved it. Loved being naughty and cheeky and almost getting kicked out of school. It's a story to tell. It is a story yeah, to tell. Yeah. <laughs> Dave and I sat down before the interview and he said, you know, there are moments in life that often are sliding doors. Obviously, for you at this point in your life, there was a little moment. And Dave and I wrote a little question down, which was, who were you before and who are you now? I'm still the same person, Gary. Still attention-seeking, still the clown of the class. I mean, you know, I went to the gym today and, you know, we're doing star jumps and I was doing a bit of a twist and jumps and everything. And I just, I think I just love making people smile. You know, even so I get into trouble, but how funny. Because who cares about star jumps in the end when you could who cares you can about do a star, star, I don't jump, do star jump either way. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but I just I just love making people smile. I think that that's what it is. Was there any moment though before, you know, like you studied your, your apprenticeship, for example, you'd be partying hard and whatever. And before that yeah, yeah. competition, do you think it could have gone in a different direction? I was supposed to get kicked out of Sofitel. Oh, as well. So not yeah, only were you gonna expel yeah. from school, you're yeah, gonna get kicked out of Sofitel. I just remember Andy North coming up to me and goes, Miss Paul of you. So there's a beep, 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 and he went beep, beep more. And he goes, you basically work for yourself. So this is what you want to do. This is what you're going to achieve. Absolutely nothing. And then that's when they put me into Daryl Cox to do the competition and then things changed from there. So that was a sliding door moment. You know, if I didn't do the competition, I think they basically would have kicked me out. Was it affecting your work? I mean, were you going out partying, doing drugs and all the bad shit? And We can't say the D word, Gary. Don't do that. <laughs> why? Why not? Alcohol's a drug. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you know, things have obviously changed now. But, yeah, absolutely. I was just, you know, like my group of friends, I was dealing with the fact that I was gay as well, which I don't usually talk about too much. I think that was really hard for me. Um, and that was my release. Like, I didn't know how to deal with it all. So it sounds like it was like a compression that had to blow anyway, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, I'm coming from a Greek family. Mum's really strict. My brother's a nerd. Great family, you know, great morals in that perspective. But then you've got this rebel, you know, and I'm just like, and I had to deal with the fact that I was gay. You know, I had to deal with the fact that I wasn't like, you know, really good at school. And I think me being naughty was kind of like me getting the attention, but kind of an excuse to not really have to study so much and everything. So I think that was just how it all went. Because it's in opposition to everything you've achieved now. I mean, you're focused and you're driven oh, and you're, you know, so th- th- this, this, you know, somebody's shaking the bottle and, and it's got to go somewhere. But growing up in a, um, in a strict Greek family, and we, we've established you're a bit of a rebel, did your parents know you were gay? Did you have to officially like, mum, dad, can you sit down? I've got something to tell you. It's funny, Gary, because I don't actually talk about me being gay, but I'm like, obviously I'm going to do it now. I, th- I think mum knew I was different. I mean, but no one really spoke about it. And then she, my brother found, they found out on Instagram because there was a photo of me grabbing my, um, my partner's boobs. They're great, but you know, mm. inappropriate, obviously. But, um, and I think she was more upset the fact that I didn't sit down and tell her and she had to see it from social media. Um, my brother didn't handle it too well. Dad just didn't say much. 
And now my mum loves Casey. Like, I mean, she texts her every single day and wishing her, you know, uh, um, a good morning. My brother, my sister-in-law is a complete legend and I think she nurtured my brother to accept it. And I hate to say it, but I think me being in the public eye and all the success has actually helped everyone else in my family accept who I am. Isn't that weird to say that? No, it's interesting, isn't it? Well, because I think a lot of the time, especially, you know, in a Greek family, I'm not just saying Greek. I mean, I'm trying to think of another word, you know, a hardworking, you know, family that's establishing themselves in the community, et cetera, that they're worried what everybody else is Oh, absolutely. And when the Mohawk came, she made me wear a hat, you know. (laughs) And I wore a hat for a little bit and then I'm just like, I look cool. And she was dealing with it, you know. She was dealing with the fact that I was the first one out of her family to go overseas and work, you know. That was never, you know, happened. You know, the fact that I got the piercings, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was kind of like just completely broke all the rules that was ever set out for me. You know, it was always you live with your family until you get married, you get a great good good boy um, and then move on from there. But I just didn't do any of that. Yeah, well done. I like it. Well, we wouldn't have the Anna we've got today <laughs> otherwise, would we? So, what are, you know, let's let's dig a little bit into your family because um, you, you, for example, you always tell me, oh, when you, if you're in Oakley, you should just pop in and you, you, my aunt makes the best halloumi oh, and absolutely. all of this sort of stuff. Oh. And you just said you regret not you know, paying more attention when you're younger to all of those recipes. You know, the funny thing is we're doing a feature with Delicious for Mother's Day. So it's all about, you know, like, you know, my mum's garden and cooking with mum and stuff. And then what I've started doing is mum, talk to me about the basticcio that we do, which is basically, you know, the pasta with the mints and, and the bechamel sauce. And then mum goes, why don't you speak to your auntie because she does it in a different way. So I rang her up and I said, oh, talk to me about how you soak your pasta in the milk. Because I find that quite bizarre. And she goes, I mean, well, I do it because it's plumped. And then the fact that when I cut into it, you can see the pasta properly. It doesn't crumble. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, so I'm getting re-educated all over again. And I mean, my social media goes gangbusters when I'm making the halloumi and when I'm in the garden with mum and when mum is a star of the show. I mean, people love her. People want, you know, did you see the parcel I got, Gary? She sent me in a parcel, oregano dried up, bay leaves, mints, some bukuri, which is, you know, like the rice thing and everything, and then my shorts that I left behind. But before that, she sent me pomegranates <laughs> and some Greek pastries. So I'm currently always receiving all this stuff. And then she bought me a meat slicer to take on the flight. And I said, Mum, I can't well, just take Just in a... case you need it. You yeah, know, I it's said, just... Mum, I can't take a meat slicer on a plane. It's got a blade. She goes, oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> you know, and my, and my suitcase was overweight because I had like about, I would say probably about 15 kilos of halloumi in there. So she, is your dad still around? Dad's still around. Um, mum is the boss of the um, house, should I say. Okay. So he just he's amazing. He's always out there. Like he does all the housework, to be honest. You know, so he's, he's, easy going. he's easy going? Oh, so easy going. Whatever. He's like a whatever man. Um, goes for his walks every morning. He has his wheat bix every day. Um, cooks his barbecues. He's very proud of his barbecues. Um, yeah, just easy. But mum's very dominant. So even if I ring up to speak to dad, she'll take over. Like, Mum, I just really have to speak to Dad. I've got to say hello to Dad. Yeah, 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 but. Uh, okay, great. So do I get that personality from her? You know, and I've got to figure that out. But, you know, great family. Well, I, we're just giggling here because obviously the answer is yes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't even know why you posed that question. I know, I know, I know. She's very dominant. In a, in a good relationship, and my mum and dad have always been a bit like that. You know, Dad, I remember arguing with Mum because Mum and I are very similar personalities. You know, we, we always want to be the centre of attention and this and that and the other. And Dad would just go, why haven't you ever learned to just go yes? Because he couldn't see the point of the arguments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, he yeah. goes, you're playing. And I, I say the same thing between 
my wife and my daughter who play what I call verbal tennis. They're just like pinging the ball over to each other, you know? Here, have that one, ping. And then somebody else goes, ping. And it just goes, and I go, you've had this argument so many times. And now, of course, I look back and dad would just be sitting there watching the same thing. And he's the same as your dad. He'd just be like, yeah, whatever. I do what do you want to do? Whatever you want to do. I do the same thing at home, though. And, you know, Casey would be like, why aren't you, you know, speaking to me about that? I'm like, oh, come. and in my head, I'm just like, I can't be bothered with this argument. So I don't say anything. Yeah, babe. Like, no problem. Yep. Why are you saying yes all the time? I don't need to deal with this. Yeah. I could be playing Candy Crush or I could be cooking <laughs> or I could be out with my mates, you know. But I'm very much like dad in that perspective. Like, I don't want to have an argument. But then mum is like, gets up early and cooks and thinks of what we're going to have for dinner and what we're going to have for breakfast and gets amongst it. And then she's already gone to the deli and she's gone to Springvale, obviously, to get all her meat produce. And um, it's just it's so interesting how she works. And I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm so like that. I've already planned the whole menu for the whole week. You know, and she just knows what she's cooking. I love making this series and I hope that you love listening too. If you do, subscribe and send us a message because believe it or not, we actually read those messages. What we want to know is what you think about the show, more importantly about the conversations that we have with our guests. We love hearing from you. That's what I'm trying to say. And if you're feeling like it, maybe even recommend the show to a friend. You never know, they might find it as delicious as you do. Do you see your life changing now? And you obviously admire your mum, aunties and their friends enormously. Yeah, I think... Are you going to turn into them? God, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. You're going to be a 70-year-old lady with a mohawk and... (laughs) Um, I think what's happening now is, like, you've known... Everyone's known me for those crazy creations, you know, and obviously Mm. I turn it up, you know, when I'm on TV, but I think what I'm doing now is I'm stripping back everything. So I'm looking at my heritage, understanding how the doughs are made, understanding about the cheese and how we make, you know, obviously the halloumi that we make, the ricotta, and then they grab the ricotta and they dry it out and then they blitz it up and they put it on their pasta. So I'm, I'm learning all that all over again. You know, how to like grow your own produce in the garden as well. So I'm just stripping it all back. So it's more, and the funny thing is people are saying, I can relate to that. And it's so nice to have that conversation now with different people saying, I can relate to that. The conversations are starting more, you know, and the fact that Delicious are wanting to do a feature because they saw, you know, what I do with mum and stuff. And, you know, I give people halloumi, you know, I give people products that they can't really get anywhere else and they appreciate it and it starts that conversation. So I think... Definitely going to be like them, Gary, because, you know, we're never going to stop cooking. Yeah. But I think just everything's changing a lot more at home as well, you know, what I'm cooking. Well, it's, maybe it's an interesting evolution, isn't it? Because, you know, we've all seen your crazy creations. I mean, the firecracker, for example, that you did on MasterChef, you know, everybody got to know you because they go, well, that's what she does, like these crazy things, you know. Yeah, and, and you know. Multiple layers, lots of different flavours. Oh, yeah. You know, you could never make that at home. I mean... I think maybe some people tried, but it's like, why? Yeah, and, you know, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, I'm forever grateful for what MasterChef's done. I mean, it's it's made me, you know, everyone knows me now from the streets or whatever because of that reason, you know, and what an experience. But, um, yeah, but, you know, there's this crazy desserts, but there's also those, you know, simple, easy desserts at home as well. You know, like the Galo de Burdick yeah. or the Lucumadas. You know, when I cook at home, I mean, my cooking's quite simple and fresh. That's what I do. And we don't, we've stopped. I cook desserts when I'm doing like obviously Instagram filming or, you know, like tomorrow I've got to do a caramel slice and a pavlova because I've got to be on a radio station. So I'll do that. But, and, you know, when I've got guests at home as well, 
I do a lot of, and I do a lot of desserts in glasses. Yeah. Kind of like keeps it in portion control, especially after a big meal. But um, I wouldn't do a firecracker at home. Oh, God, no. Or a piñata. I've got my niece every single day asking, can you make me a piñata? I'm going to take it to school. I'm like, what, you think it's a handbag? You're going to carry it? You're going to put it on your backpack? You know? But um, She'd be the most so, popular yeah. kid in school, though. Oh, she already is, Gary. I've got to go there, pick her up, and I've got to take my hat off. She wants the hat off so everyone can see the pink hair. Yeah. You know, the teachers always, you know, allow me going to class when you're not really supposed to. But, yeah. So it's good. I don't know. I love cooking simple stuff at home. So what about your Greek Cypriot, is that right? Greek Cypriot, yeah. Yeah. So you've been been back and explored anything yeah, at home? Yeah, yeah, So I actually reached out to Tourism um, Cyprus. Yeah. And I said, I don't want you to cover any of my expenses or anything. That's what I want. don't want. I want you to take me to the villages where they make halloumi and Greek pastry shops. And I just want to go around. And I went and, oh, wow. These women were doing it for free and they didn't know how much to charge. So they were charging like one litre, which is I think about a dollar, two dollars for a whole tub of it. Are we talking halloumi or a little Greek? Halloumi, 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 halloumi. And then there was obviously as well the ricotta there and then, you know, we went down the road and then there was this pastry shop and there was biscuits and all this filo pastry and obviously they don't buy filo pastry like we do in Australia. They make it all by hand. Yeah. And it's so rewarding when you make your own pastry. Like I made my own pastry for my paklava. I make my own pastry for my spanaglobita. It's so rewarding. Why would you, I know this sounds really weird, but why would you buy a packet? And I know it's convenience and just put a few ingredients and that's it. And it's, and it's great, but there's something different when you make your own pastry or your own bread. It's also part of a different life. You know, like, you know, during lockdown, I think we all started making things that we just, in our normal busyness, we never have time to do. And then you appreciate that. Yep. Like I say the same thing about pastry. Like I just don't make puff pastry or anything. And then during lockdown, I go, oh, I'll just make sausage rolls. And then I eat these sausage rolls and go, I don't remember them tasting this good. And it spoiled me a little bit because then you go, well, now I can buy the puff pastry, but it really is never going to be as good, isn't it? You know? But there's a, there's a pleasure in that that maybe now, like I make a loaf of bread once a week. That's all I do. I'm not making it to feed the family. I just, I'm almost just making it to keep the starter alive. Oh, Gary, you're so like me. I'm like... A- when Casey's about to eat something, I just look at her and she goes, what are you doing? It's freaking me out. I'm like, I just need to know that that is the best thing you could have ever had and I need to see it. And she goes, are you waiting for approval from me? I go, yes. Yeah. She goes, yes, it's I great. Am. I go, no, tell me again. She says, it's <laughs> effing amazing. Oh, and I have the best day. But she turns around and tells me something's not great. I have the shittest day. And I don't know why we take things so personal. You know, we take things so personal in the in the kitchen, you know, commercial kitchen, but even at home when your guests walk away and they're not so content, you're just like, oh, mm. feel flat. Imagine how your mum would have felt when you kids, you and your nerdy brother, <laughs> would have just been like, I don't care about whatever she made, oh, you know? Gary, we She'd be sat devastated. there and we ate every single thing or weren't allowed to leave the table. Yeah. I remember I said once, oh, mum, that's not how I like it. So she grabbed it and she put the whole plate in the bin and I've never said anything after that. I just said, I love everything. And she's a great cook. I just didn't want to eat lentils all the time. She used to cook like pulses once a week, you know, like beans or, you know, lentils because it's good for us. And I was like, oh, you know, but I always ate everything. Great cook. Great. But I always wanted Greek. She always cooked Greek. That's why I used to like, you know, camps because I could have my one protein and three veg because we never got that at home. You know, it's quite funny, isn't it, when you talk to someone so passionate about their background, for example, and if yours is Greek Cypriot, all the things that you love about Greek Cypriot food, but it is actually your favourite 
cuisine or are you like a mad? I, I do love Japanese food. Like I love sashimi ah. um, and Chinese food. So stuff that I can't actually make myself, you know, like we can give it a go, yeah. but it's never going to taste the same. But when I go home, I want Greek food. I don't want to cooking anything else. I want my vine leaves that have come from the garden with the zucchini flowers, uh, you know, the eggs that have just come from the chickens, the green beans, the herbs that would make a salad out of. God, Gary, I'm just so spoilt when I go back. And I always come back with a few more kilos, you know, like five kilos. I put on five kilos in, I would say, about 10 days being there. No, was I there 10 days? No, I was there for two and a half weeks, five kilos. I'm sitting at the airport and I can't even breathe. I'm like, oh, I'm just so... I don't know what's going on. Why can't I breathe? Because I she stuffed me like a yeah. turkey. She wants a little plump cheek she can grab hold of. Uh, how long were you at Shangri-La? I was at Shangri-La for seven and a half years. Loved every minute of it. I know at the start was a struggle. Yeah. Because obviously just changing the way that things, you know, worked. You know, from obviously I had to wear a hat, I had to take my piercings out. And eventually once I got that, you know, media attention, the piercings would go back in, the hat would come off. And then kind of like that was allowed. Um, and we did amazing things. You know, talk of the town, great team. Um, we had the best equipment. I was very lucky that, you know, our suppliers really looked after us, did training development for the guys. Very proud, very proud. And just know, to put it in there. perspective, anybody that's listening that doesn't have these kind of insights, in a hotel to establish a department like that or get the pastry right really moving would almost be impossible. Like I think if I rewound the clock, mm. let's go back to... Softel days, which would have been, uh, what, late 90s, I would I would assume for you. Would that be all right? Yeah. Late 90s? Late I know 90s. it's a long time ago. But but nobody goes to hotels for good food. No. Oh, I just offended every hotelier in the world. But, but you're right. But there was a transition in Melbourne where hotels were where it was at and then it transitioned like it pretty much did everywhere else in the world where hotels started to focus on their bread and butter, which is the rooms, and F&B took a back, you know, took a, a step back. And it all went out onto the high street, so restaurants. So what you actually did at Shangri-La was really difficult. You must have been pushing the proverbial uphill at the beginning. Absolutely. But I had an executive chef that was really supportive, you know, and I had a few people that were supportive and there was other people that didn't understand it. Like I brought back, you know, like remember how we used to do chef's tables? Yeah. Gary, like in the restaurant. I turned around and said, I'm going to have a dessert table in the pastry kitchen. We're going to do a dessert degustation. And like that's not going to work. And I said, well, every seat that's empty... I'll pay for it myself. And, you know, and at the start they were empty. I didn't pay for it myself. So what I said was, like, how do I get the awareness? So I started doing collaborations, mm. built a profile, and then from there started doing it on my own and the tickets would sell out within not even five minutes. You know, and then we, and you know, we did five courses. There was a gift to take home. Um, we would theme it up as well. We'd do it once a month. The revenue was really good for the hotel for that and they loved it. And then from there everyone started doing it. I mean, <laughs> Mazina copied that. Um, anyways, but that's another story. They're good friends, you know. <laughs> you were first. But yeah, it, I was first. That I takes like a lot of effort, that. doesn't it? And good to see that you got the support at the beginning because otherwise you wouldn't have been able to, you know. No. I mean, let's let's be honest, most pastry departments in hotels are just buying everything in. Oh, they are. And I think that's why I left Shangri-La now. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like they were my clients for the last two years. Yeah. And I would go in and no one would give me a task. I was like, okay, so let's just change the menus. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's get some training for the guys. And just took full control. And then they're like, well... We're going to go a different direction. We're going to start buying stuff. And I said, oh, I will never work for a hotel that does that because that's just laziness. There's ways to make money with, you know, like do we reduce the menu? You know, what can we do? You know, and there's always ways to go about it. And if you think about it, buying stuff in actually costs a lot more money than making it yourself, you know, and it just, I don't want to do that. But the labour 
is the headache. Absolutely. Because it's so labor intensive. That's what it is. It is, but you've got so, to you know, be why, smart. Why? I get it. I mean, and we're, we're, we're chefs, right? Product people. That's what we love. And there's a difference. You know, I used to say to my purchasing, you know, in a hotel, you've got all these different departments you've got to play politics with. And I just want to pick up the phone, ring the supplier, go, yeah, send me the best off. And then the purchasing manager gets their back up because they're, they're aiming to buy best product, best price. But what they don't understand is the best product. You know, but I can get lettuce for X dollars a box. And I go, yeah, but I'm throwing half of it away. So it's not X dollars a box, it's double that, you know. But, the, you know, they're competing objectives. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little game politics. I mean, in the end, that's why I open my own restaurant because I go, well, you know what, I'm going to do it myself. But then there's things that when you open your own restaurant and you're in charge of everything, you go, wish I had a purchasing manager. <laughs> well, I actually would call my suppliers and just say, you know, my goal is to do the best. If I don't get it from you guys where I know the product's good, they're going to give me something that's not so great and my product's not going to be great. And they're like, and we're here to support you. Now, I'm forever blessed for having people with the same vision for me. You know what I mean? Like I got my chocolate at such a good price that they couldn't believe, the purchasing officer couldn't even get it at that price. My purees, my fruits, um, everything you can imagine, I just did that. And then, you know, I was working Sonoma Bakery, so I said, guys, can you do this and this? So they will give me free bread with my order as well. So I think it's just more about speaking to people like they're people. Yeah, it's a network. Yeah, and making them understand. What gets you up in the morning? The gym. I love going to the gym. So obviously we're talking about I'm getting um, fit and healthy for this year. Mm. Um, you know, I think I was just too much sugar. Is Rebel Wilson your, uh, your <laughs> pin-up girl? I did that. She's I actually went, on my, yeah. Rebel Wilson's got my pin-up, year, pin-up girl for, uh, what is it, year of health. <laughs> but you know what? what? We're, we're well into the year. We're getting into the year and my resolutions haven't, they're, they're not they're not. There's so many other better looking girls out there, Gary, to have up on my wall. I'll tell you that thing. Uh, she, um, she's beautiful. What are you talking about? And she, she, no, she, she is beautiful. She turned her um, life around with that little oh, year 100%. of health. But didn't we all love her bef- because she was holding herself really well yeah. as a larger woman, funny, you know, it was kind of like okay to be overweight because she made it okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like she was taking the piss, wasn't, you know, all that. I love Rebel Wilson. I think it's fantastic. We've got an Aussie overseas smashing it. Love that. Yeah. Um, but you liked it before as much as you like it now. That's what you're saying. I like it before. All right. So what, yeah. what's inspiring your year of health then? Um, I think just um, I felt heavy. I felt like I wasn't as, like I was hanging out with my niece and nephew when I was at home and I wasn't as active with them as I should be. And I love them to bits. Mm. So I was like, okay, I've got to do some adjustments here. Yeah. And then the show was like, that's it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get healthier. I'm going to get introduced to food that I normally wouldn't eat. And a lot of my friends, you know, going, Anna, you should, you know, like we've got Courtney, I've got her surname, you know, she cooks great veggies and it's just beautiful and it's so you know, inviting. And then yeah. I've got my other friend, Luke, that's like a fitness freak and he's like, I'm going to send you some books, great snacks. Yeah. Great. I hate to tell you, I reckon what you're up against, number one, your personality, because you've got an addictive <laughs> personality. That's number I do. I'm addicted to this now, Gary. Like you should see me, I'm just like going. That's number one. That's always hard, right? Because I've, I've got the same problem. And then number two, your fitness guy. How old's your fitness guy? Just putting it out there. Um, well, my fitness friends are all, yeah. of all ages. All right. Because it's normally because a 25 year old telling you, hey, no, just have 20. an egg white omelette. And then you're sitting at home going, yeah, but I could have. What was it you were talking about? The gooey pastizio, is it, that you were talking about? Oh, pastizio. But I do eat, like, I love egg white omelettes. Like, I love them. Like, as whole egg, like, um, omelettes I don't actually like. like, I'm not a huge fan of yolk. 
um, in my eggs, yeah. like, you know, to eat it like that. So I love egg white omelets, like I love them. And I whisk them up. And, you know, Emma, um, that used to work with you, Gary, back in the day, she used to whisk it up and she used to do like a souffle thing that she would finish it off in the oven. And it'll come out and it'll be light and fluffy and full of veggies. And I don't know, I quite like that, to be honest. Well, maybe maybe your yeah. success is, you know, at your doorstep. We, we will stay posted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, I just I don't hope it's one of those things that would last for a week and then I give up at the end of the week and say, oh, God, we should go for pizza and we should do this. But, you know, I'm very lucky. Like, we're going to Hunter Valley this weekend. You know, so I'm doing a wine tour. All right. That's all right. Yeah. Go for a run after. Yeah. And, an egg, and an egg white omelette in the morning. Oh, Gary, you, I know you're dissing those egg white omelettes. I'm not omelet, dissing them. They're my I, favorite I thing. know what works and I know what doesn't work. And I just, oh. I just have this conflict always in my mind where I go, I'll start tomorrow. I'll, <laughs> you know what I mean? What? Well, the thing is, if I go get up in the morning at five, I do my gym workout, I have my coffee with my friends, it actually keeps me, Sh- keeps me level-headed for the yeah. day. Yeah, I'm like very switched on, I'm active. Yep. If I don't go to the gym and I start eating bad, I feel just lazy. doesn't mean I can't have my cake. doesn't mean I can't do that. I just won't eat it every day. And I was doing that. That's all it is. It's just changing it the it's way. It's a just, Yeah, and just be more balanced now. I'm just more balanced. But I do have an excessive personality, you know, I get it, you know, obsessive. So I think the gym, good eating will last for a, a week. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you working on right now? What's what's happening? Because I think last time I bumped into you, you said, I've got this little concept rolling around in my head. You know, this is what I'm chasing. Can we explore that a little bit? What's happening? Yeah, so there's um, a hotel opportunity. Um, so we're looking for 2022, not 2021, obviously, because we've got to be um, quite sensible with the vaccine and yeah, the yeah. Door, um, borders opening. Um, so we're possibly doing that. We're exploring it again. I mean, the conversations are there. There's always um, the opportunity of opening up my own. Um, and we are not going for the whole traditional French. We're going for the whole Greek side right. of things. So um, this idea the, of your, you know, rediscovering your Greek heritage and appreciating that and yeah, embracing and that, just, you want to see if you can... Bring that into the commercial So realm? Well, just, this is more about exploring it, Gary. You know, like I've got so many opportunities and I just want to lay it out, make sure it's finalised and then go, okay, is this the right thing? Yeah. No, or is it this? So there's that and then there's obviously my product going back into the markets as well. You know, so we're looking at Harris Farms, IGA, um, the small ones like that and then Coles and Woolworths, not, not necessarily, but, you know, the smaller yeah. guys, that's what So you've got a number do. of balls so, up in the air and you're just trying to decide... Where you think the the next version of Anna Polyview is gonna? Yeah, but how lucky am I to be able to have those opportunities where a lot of people don't? Yeah, you know, and I get excited. I was going to say you just next. because you're excited by them. Some people don't get excited about anything. If you're excited about oh. lots of things, at least you can cherry pick and hopefully you know one of them. I always get. Do you have ants in your pants? What is wrong with you? I've never seen anyone get so excited about like the simple things. Mm. Oh, love it. I lo- I love the fact I got opportunities. I mean, I'm going to IKEA today. Get a desk. Excited about going to IKEA. You're going to get one of those little uh, Frankfurter things they do or meatball subs or? Gary, oh. I'm eating my cheese oh, yeah, salad sorry. instead. Sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> so what, what um, you know, in amongst all the positivity and the, the Anna that I know that's always on the go and busy and, you know, a next project and excited about everything, excited about a desk from Kia, um, <laughs> what, what, what gets you down and what keeps you up at night? Um, my work really, that really does. Like I think when I left Shangri-La that was like um, – I was quite upset about that because I, I loved that place. I was really invested in that, um, you know, and, and obviously things changed, you know, obviously it does. I think when new management comes in, they don't have the love and vision like you do because you've been invested for so long. So that changed. Um, that really hurt. I mean, 
you know, you sometimes question yourself as a chef, you know, especially like for me, I need to have a place that I'm always going into. Like, you know, doing, working with brands is great. Writing a book's fantastic. Being on TV is great. But I'm still a chef. So for me, I still need that place that people can come to. So, you know, we are looking at pop-ups this year mm. because I don't want people missing out on that experience what, what, with why, me. Why do you worry about that? Like, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, you're lying awake at night going, you know, I just, I'm losing direction or what? what is it that you're afraid of there? I miss my team. And like, I do have a team that help me with different things, but I miss being for a team that I can continue learning still. You know, from my apprentice through to my senior, I miss that. I miss that group of professionals all in one room. I still obviously get that. You know, I've got two of them still with me, like Michaela and Felicity, and they're still with me. They're my girls that I always go with and whatever we're doing. You know, but I just, I miss a kitchen. Mm. I miss that buzz. I miss that. I miss the fact that my fans slash the consumer don't have a place to get something of mine. Mm. That upsets me. You know, I'm really about my, you know, customers always say that, like that is really important for me. So I'm, I miss that. My relationship's great. Family's great. I always say, Gary, if there's a problem in your life, you, you review it, you fix it, you move on. I'm not wasting any energy or time on stuff. And, and you it. manage that's to, it's a do it, delegate it or dump it in yeah, my that's mind. It. It's yeah. the three Ds. But, 100%. But there are some things that you still churn. I churn things that, you know, I don't know, that I thought I dumped years ago. What are they for you? I don't know. I just sort it out. Oh, you just sort it out. Just sort it out. I'm not saying it happens overnight. Not at all. You know, I think me being gay with mum dragged on for too many years and that was a struggle for me and it affected everything. It affected my relationship at home with my partner. It affected work because I would go into work angry uh, and not knowing what it was, you know. So I think fixing that is rewarding for me, you know, and that relationship that Casey has with my mother now is... I couldn't have asked for anything better. And the fact that my family is so supportive and it's mm. great. And my niece and nephew don't really know what's going on because obviously they're five and seven and it's not for me to tell them, but they love it. So they'll like FaceTime her when I'm in the same room. You know, they love it. You know, they love her. They love spending time with her. The fact that she's so lovable as well is, is rewarding mm. for me. So I don't know. I just think that when there's a problem in your life, you need to resolve it or it's going to drag on and it's going to linger around. And it sounds to me... You need people around you that you that feed that confidence and like on the face of it, confident out there, getting stuff done. But it's really important for you to have that that base, that platform, right? So that's your family, your oh, extended yeah. family, your partner, kids. Yeah, I, I need that. Like I'm someone that needs to be reassured. You know, you're looking great. Your work's great. Oh, that was such a good job. But doesn't everyone? And I think that's why I surround myself with like-minded people as me. So I need to make sure that the people around me feeding me something. I don't need materialistic stuff, but I need it to be emotional for me. You did, know, I need that in my life. Becoming well-known, did that make it worse? Oh, God, Gary, that was just, how do you feel? No, I, th I think what it does is it, if you want my take on it, yeah. as a businessman and a restaurateur, my world was fairly small, you know, so my customers, you know, our database, the people you see every day, they're, they're your field of influence, you know, and occasionally doing a demo and bits and pieces. But when you do something like um, MasterChef, which is in everybody's living rooms, I think I started to, and it's taken a period of adjustment for me to come down off that, is that seeking approval from people you don't know. Like it does, for me, that's, it shouldn't be important, but for some reason it becomes important. Does that, oh, does that make sense? Yeah, so that's, that's why I'm asking. Does, do you think it feeds a little bit of that anxiety or that need for recognition, you know, that approval? 
I've been lucky enough that everyone that's seen me on TV has been very supportive mm. and encouraging. And I think because I went in there quite friendly with all the contestants, you know, um, did fun, exciting, you know, um, creations. And I've always had people say quite nice things. I've never really had any negative things, but I also don't allow people to do that as well. Like, you know, my posts aren't political. They're always engaging. They're always fun. Um, you know, and I know that there's been like, you know, different movements that haven't been great, you know, with COVID and what have you, but I don't get into it. And I think sometimes people need to escape that. So when you're making it fun and engaging and stuff, people want to be around that. I think I had once a guy tell me that I should get a nose job. You know, and I took that to offence. He wrote on my social media, <laughs> um, I will pay for you to get your nose done. One tea rolled down and wiped it. Oh, and then I said to him, I feel really sorry for you. I feel sorry that you need to come onto my platform mm. to say these things. Is there anything I can help you with? Are you okay? Whoa. God, everyone jumped on that. And then when people were trying to say bad things, I said, don't say anything bad. Be nice. Do you know? And then that's the only bad thing I ever copped about my nose. And I actually quite like it. I quite like your nose too. Thanks, Gary. Well, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing. I, I don't know whether it's a probably something my mum or, you know, just generally people would say before the internet happened in, in all its yeah. glory, like right in the last few years, is like that. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. That was always something, oh, you know, in our family absolutely. was very important. And the other thing was um, you would never want to know what other people think of you. But that's changed now because people just hit that keyboard and they tell you, I don't like your nose. Thank you very much. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I was just like, there is, and I looked in the mirror and go, there's actually nothing wrong with my nose. I'm like, God, he could have picked something else, but he didn't. But that's okay. We'll rock with that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I don't know. I don't really cop anything bad. You know, like my audience are really, you know, they, they, they actually range from all different, yeah. you know, from really young to older. I don't know. Like just I think staying positive, good energy, you know, all that kind of stuff's important. My, my question was more about, you know, maybe I'm dragging the point a little bit, was more about you thrive on that. Um, appreciation, that recognition, that that yeah, whatever, and you know, going onto something like MasterChef throws you into an audience of millions, not just in Australia. When I mean, you're talking around the world, right? Yeah. Rather than just your field of influence you had before as a pastry chef, has it? Do you think, that, think that that's a hard thing to get over? I think when I got a MasterChef, I was quite um, depressed a little bit from it because I wasn't aware of what. It actually did, like it did great wonders for me, but it was all of a sudden everyone knew my name, everyone knew my business. I went to the airport because Zumbo was doing his Fancy Nancy, he was launching that, and I was in the kitchen doing our carrot cake back then because that was our first thing, and all of a sudden I go to, you know, the airport because I hadn't been out, and everyone was taking photos of me. They were taking photos from my back of me. The security guards knew me, the person that I was getting a coffee, and I was so overwhelmed. I mean, I landed in Melbourne and people stopped in their cars to take a photo. I've never seen anything like it. And I remember texting ads and I said, I'm not dealing with this. I just, I don't know what to do. And he goes to me, these people aren't out there to hurt you. You've always wanted this and I love what mm. you do. And that just changed my whole mindset around. And then I just loved it. No, you want a selfie? Yeah, we'll take yeah. a selfie. You know what I mean? Yeah. You would have copped it. You still cop it. Yeah. I'm enjoying actually not being recognised as much as uh, I used to, to be honest. I think when people, do, for me, when people don't recognise me, then I'm doing something wrong. Mm. I'm quite happy to just disappear into my garden. Oh, Gary. You know I'm, I love attention. 
<laughs> I was going to say, and we, we've probably got to wrap it up soon because we, we've been chatting away for a while, but how does, uh, you know, that Greek community that's important to your family and obviously becoming increasingly important to you, how do they see you? Do you know? Because they're very, lo- Greeks love Greeks. I mean, I've got Greek friends that won't oh, do anything unless there's, there's Greeks involved or Greek food or Greek, whatever. You're like, give it a rest. Let's go for Vietnamese, you know? Like there's, they're, they're very proud. I mean, if there's a community that's proud of its own, especially in Melbourne. Oh, look, my friends in Sydney are not Greek, mm. but my friends in Melbourne are. So when I'm in Melbourne, I love it. I love the fact that my aunties are coming in and telling me, I know this really good recipe. Oh, really? Teach me. You know, I love that. I love being around the Greek community. I love going to different events that they've got. Yeah. I love it because that's who they I am. Support, and they support And I want to just take it in. Oh, well, you know, get anyone on the, you know, on, in front of a TV and everyone loves you. And Greek Cypriot as well. So that's even more, isn't everyone it? Everyone just wants to gift me stuff like, you know, their lemons from their tree or their oranges or their recipes and all that. Mm. Uh, so it's awesome. I love Melbourne, but I also come back five kilos heavier and five kilos heavier in my suitcase or is, is it 10? And Sydney for you is a, is it because it's a, it's away from all that? It is in a way because when I'm in Melbourne, I love the buzz of it, but I think if it was all the time, it would be a bit too much. I do love Sydney cause it's kind of like, we've got our own little other friends, you know, our homes there now, all that kind of stuff. So I do kind of like that. So you can, you can dig or dive in as deep as you want, but then yeah, you can get out. Yeah, and I was thinking out. about, like, you know, moving back to Melbourne. I want to live in Port Melbourne. And then I was just like, maybe I just stay where I am because I actually quite love Sydney. We can, you can um, engage it on your terms. Absolutely. Yeah. Otherwise, my mother will be over all the time. And, then, and maybe there'll become a time when you'll be happy with that. <laughs> yeah, no, and I still, you know, I love my family, but I think it's nice escape as well. You know, the kids get more excited when I, you know, all of a sudden appear. They're jumping like crazy, but if they had me all the time, would it be that exciting? Yeah. You know, and I see my friends. I mean, my friends are awesome. A bit wild. It's good fun. I like it. You've got a nice connection of, you know, staying wild, a bit crazy, your own personality, but you're also a, you're a technician and you've got drive and you've got, you know what I mean? That, that question that, you know, who were you before and who are you now? Does that kind of make sense now? Oh, 100%. You know, you rewind the clock to when you were at school. You've kept a bit of that. <laughs> I think no, nothing's really changed, has it? Yeah. Slightly. You're bloody good at Slightly. what you do. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that's a, a lifetime yeah. of dedication, that's what it means. And so next up, you're going to give me some kind of definitive answer. You've got a little thing boiling on the hotel uh, group possibly. You might be doing something on your own. You don't know that's coming together. You've got a book coming. I um, I do want to do a book. There's currently a conversation happening about a Greek book. Great. Um, so going back to simple cooking, it's not going to be crazy. It's still going to be obviously focused on the desserts and everything. But it's just simple, easy. So that cooking. might galvanise your thinking, bringing that project together. Yes, yeah, so I've already started writing it. Um, there's obviously another TV opportunity in the horizon, which I'm very excited about. There's just so much, you know. And all those start of the year, there's so much going on. So I just got to plan it out, just figure out what's the right thing for me and the new team that's coming about and everything else. But I do want a spot to work from. That's a very key thing. Love it. Well, we're going to stay tuned and obviously uh, excited to see what uh, is next for you. And just because you liked that positive affirmation, I think your nose is wonderful. I love your mohawk <laughs> and and your pastries are delicious. How does that, how does that, do you like that? Oh my God. I feel like I'm going to have the best day ever. The best day ever, right. Gary. You know, and, and I'm going to Ikea to get my table. I mean, can life get any better? I normally do a little tip and tricks on the back end of these and I'm just going to cheat and I'm going to ask you if there's one dessert hack or dessert tip 
or little tiny recipe that somebody could make off the back of this uh, interview. Have you got any ideas? You know what I do have actually, Gary, is my chocolate tofu mousse. Oh. It's basically so silk and tofu. So hang on a minute, let me do this. Right, ready? So now for Anna's tips and tricks, what have you got for us, Anna? So, Gary, what I have for everyone today is my silken chocolate tofu mousse. We're not going to call it tofu because everyone freaks out. It's basically tofu, soy milk or normal milk, dark chocolate, blend it together. That's your mousse. Are you serious? And I put it in a glass and I put berries and you don't even know that there's tofu in there. Are you serious? But it's creamy. And it tastes amazing. Oh, so you melt the chocolate. Amazing. You melt the chocolate. And proportions, you know, like about a third tofu to chocolate or a half or a... You know, just to so I, I put... Tofu in there, I just put a dash of milk in there just so it becomes creamy. Okay, so you start, blend that first. Blend it, and then I add chocolate to it. So Melted? It, melted. And you just mm. blend it. That's it. That's all you do. And then you pour it into a glass, and then you fill it with fruit on top, and it's so creamy. And the beautiful thing about it is you can eat it just there and there. But I've got another one, Gary. Give us another one. Which is awesome. So this is Anna's second tip and trick. Go for it. My pita bread, equal quantities, self-raising yep. flour with yogurt, mix it all together. You roll it into like 80 gram balls, flat it out, heat up your pan, chuck it in there, one side, the other side, Couple done. Couple of minutes the other side. Do you brush it with olive oil? I put a little bit of olive oil. You can spray it, but it's not the same thing. You do need olive oil in there. A mountain oregano? <laughs> Come on. I was just, you know, I was I've just got amping so much it up. oregano at home. I don't know what she was thinking. She sent me so much. But that is such an easy, easy recipe. And I use it all the time and everyone's like, oh my God, that's the best. What's the recipe? So how good was this podcast? We had a wonderful chat. I made you feel great at the end. You're off to Ikea to buy a desk and we got two recipes. And a poll of you, thank you so much. A Plate to Call Home is a Podcast One production produced by Dave Swalensky with audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.